Hey there. Welcome to another edition of the CLE Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Casey Drotter. A lot to break down today. Talking Cavs, draft prospects. One in particular, talking Browns, training camp, getting down to the wire there. But first, let's kick things off with the main event of the week, the MLB trade deadline. Man, oh man, we, we had some pretty big rumors heading into this one. As you know, Zach and Mike's wild adventure led to both Zach Plezak and Mike Clevenger finding their names in deadline trade whispers. Some thought they'd both get dealt. Some thought they'd get punished not by being traded, but by being stationed at the satellite field for literally the rest of the season, therefore messing with their service time and intentionally delaying their respective free agencies. Now, I said from the beginning that I didn't think that was going to happen. It just felt too petty for a major league front office. I don't know. The the idea of Chris Antonetti saying, oh, so I'm sorry, you think it's fun to go out on the town when you're not supposed to? <laughs> Guess what? You just lost yourself millions of dollars by becoming a free agent one year later. What are you going to do about that? Look, I was just as mad at Mike Clevenger and Zach Plezak as everyone else was. But that would still feel like a bit of an extreme overreaction. With that said... The idea of their decisions greasing the wheels for a trade wasn't that outlandish. If you'll recall, I said there was no point in trading Zach Plezak. He's under team control far too long to just say, you know what, we're done with this guy. But I 100% understood the idea of moving Mike Clevenger. Again, saying that as someone who wrote in June, there's still no point in trading Mike Clevenger. I said it as a, if you're thinking of this from a cost perspective, if you're trading him because arbitration might cost too much. That, I thought, was a bit you know, extreme as far as reasons to trade him. However, he has more value than Francisco Lindor right now. Based on team control, two more years left after the season, and based on the fact it's just hard to find top-tier starting pitching. Unless you're Cleveland, apparently. Seriously, put me on their satellite camp for the week. I'll probably leave with a plus fastball and a curve that has 10 inches of added drop versus average. Be that as it may, Clevenger's value, plus the recent strong showings from prospect Tristan McKenzie, it made it so that him being traded slowly but surely felt like the most likely outcome. And sure enough, after a Sunday full of smoke about him getting dealt to Atlanta, Toronto, the Yankees, a mystery team, Chicago, yeah, the White Sox, there were rumors Cleveland was about to send Mike Clevenger to a division rival right next to them in the standings. Would have been a tough PR spin unless they could somehow con Chicago into forking over Luis Robert. Anywho, come Monday morning, the deal was finally done. Mike Clevenger was sent to SoCal, joining the Padres along with Greg Allen and a player to be named later. Coming to the Indians were Josh Naylor, Cal Quantrill, Gabriel Arias, Austin Hedges, Joey Cantillo, and Owen Miller. Six total players. So from that standpoint, quite a haul. From a how does this make Cleveland a better team now standpoint, you know, the jury's still out. Look, there's a ton of intriguing players in this group. Both Arias and Cantillo are in the top 10 on San Diego's farm. And it's a good farm. Arias is a shortstop who, per MLB pipeline, should be ready to go next year. Below average grade for hitting in general, but average power and running plus grades in both arm strength and fielding. It took him a minute, but he did finally start showing off some raw power in the minors last year, had a 168 ISO, 
That is 28 points above average. As for Cantillo, left-handed pitcher with a four-pitch arsenal. Fastball and curve are average, slightly below average grade on his slider, but above average on his changeup. Within, within the scouting report, the biggest area that he needs to work on is command of his breaking pitches. As for Owen Miller, he was close to the top 10, 11th on San Diego's farm. The middle infielder, he has above average hitting, needs a little more power, but an above average fielder. The other three acquisitions, Naylor, Quantrill, and Hedges, they're in the majors already. Hedges is likely Roberto Perez's new backup at catcher. He's coming off a year where he was one of the best pitch framers in baseball, ranked in the 100th percentile per baseball savant. With that, with that said, offense, it's not really his thing. Career 616 OPS. He has above average ISO, so it may tease you into thinking he's quite the power hitter, but it's a pinch lopsided because he has a 333 slugging percentage while batting, you know, 158. Quantrill, who's pulled double duty, both a reliever and a starter in his career, He's likely headed to Cleveland's bullpen. That's where he spent the bulk of this season with San Diego. 260 ERA, 24% walk rate, averaging 3Ks for every walk issued this year. So yes, the walk rate's a bit high, as is his whip. But there's nothing wrong with adding to your bullpen, especially when your key guys like Hand and Karinczak and Whitgren are going to be a little taxed the closer you get to the postseason. As for Naylor... Buster Olney says Cleveland's putting him in as the everyday left fielder. Great! I'm on board with that. He showed off a lot of power last year in AAA. His ISO, it was almost 100 points above average. Since being called up, he hasn't been able to replicate that. But his weighted runs created plus is 1% below league average. Yet also significantly better than every Indians outfielder not named Tyler Naquin. And yes, that's more of a statement about how bad the Indians outfield is than it is a big-time compliment for Naylor. Overall, it's a lot of players who could play a role for Cleveland, be it now or down the road. But does it make the team notably better right now? I don't want to be harsh. It's kind of debatable. And basically, the hinge factor here is whether or not Naylor can provide a boost in the outfield. Outside of that, Quantrill is a nice pitcher. Hedges is not going to burn you defensively, but the lineup, it didn't get massively better after this move. Now, I wasn't sitting here expecting them to swing a deal for Mike Trout. I just figured in dangling Mike Clevenger, they could get some sort of big league productivity. And unless Naylor just instantly flashes, that didn't happen. I'm not dogging him or anyone they got back. I'm just noting that the lineup in general did not notably improve once this trade went down. Now, the Indians are one game out of first as we speak, so it isn't like they needed a major upgrade. Likewise, despite how many are reading this, no, this was not an example of Cleveland selling. I get it, you wanted more impact players who can help right now, and it doesn't appear that that happened. Yet, the rotation is still strong. After dealing Mike Clevenger, think about that. Mike Clevenger joins Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber as top-line starters this team has traded away since July of 2019, and the rotation is still good, potentially great. Again, walk to a crowd, close your eyes, and point. You'll find someone the Indians can turn into an elite starter. Also, some of the problems with this team are internal. Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor 
have been pretty inconsistent this year, and yet Cleveland is still sitting near the top of the division. If those two can finally get going, and historically there's nothing there that says they won't, it changes a lot. No, Cleveland did not land elite outfield talent like you and, sure, I were hoping to see. But they also didn't blow it all up. This wasn't them preparing for a rebuild. It's not packing it in despite vying for a playoff spot. You've misread the room, if that's your thought. There's a difference between, you know, I'm not sure that this makes their lineup any better, and, well, for the love of God, this team is so frustrating, they've made themselves so much worse! Another piece of fallout from the big trade, Domingo Santana got DFA'd. I'm not shocked. I wrote about him a couple times over the offseason. This year was going to make it extremely difficult for him to catch on in Cleveland. Just the whole setup. The team kept going with its grab-bag approach to the outfield, giving him and many other players inconsistent playing time as a result. There were also only 60 games to work with. In Cleveland's defense, he wasn't tearing the cover off the ball. His OPS was 583. He had a weighted runs created plus that was 37 points below average. With that said, I, I kind of feel for the guy. This was a prove-it deal for him. This was his third team in three years. And while I was all but certain Cleveland wasn't touching that $5 million option he had for next year, I at the very least was hoping he'd get a fair shot. And 60 games and a billion outfielders makes it really difficult to offer that. On the flip side, you know, I, I did clamor for this team to figure out an everyday outfield, and this is one way to do it. That and trading Greg Allen, who became redundant as soon as the team acquired Delano Shields Jr., that was a lot of trade breakdown. As far as the previous week went on the field, Cleveland got two big series wins against Minnesota and St. Louis. Put up a touchdown Friday night. 14 runs. Scored a combined four across the next two, including Saturday's game, which I, 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 gotta, I gotta be honest. I was actually nervous about the fact my 11-month-old son was watching that game with me. I really, really hope that he did not process any of the execution from that one. Because it was, ugh. The game ending with Yadier Molina getting tagged out while standing between third and home because he thought a Matt Carpenter ground out went foul. Par for the course in this one. Just across the board, it was tough to watch. But hey, they don't ask how. A win's a win, and right now your Indians are right there vying for a playoff spot. No complaining on my part. I will have a slight complaint for only scoring one run against Kansas City Monday night. Gonna, gonna need to do more than that to, to win baseball games. And Shane Bieber, I gotta tell you, he's probably getting pretty desperate for run support these days. He's basically the inside track for Cy Young, and he gets rewarded often with two to three runs of support. Max, please fix that. I, I just feel so bad for him. All right, switching subjects. It was a quiet week for the Cavs, as per usual. We are still a few weeks away from life in the practice bubble. The draft lottery has come and gone. Currently, we're less than two months from the draft. I say currently because there's a chance it might get postponed. Again. Stupid virus that keeps getting ignored by stupid people. Anyways, yes, the NBA was planning to start next season in December, but that might get pushed back with the draft getting pushed along with it. So, it's a, it's a lot of time off for the Cavs. Just, uh, God, I, I never really thought I'd miss a 19-win team this badly. But it does give us time to talk draft prospects like none other 
than the next great NBA player of all time, Obi Toppin. Adding my usual caveat that yes, both Obi and I went to the University of Dayton, therefore yes, my opinion of him and his match for the Cavs is a little bit skewered. Just that whole next great NBA player of all time thing, that, that'd, be, that'd be a slight example there. Look, I'm not the only person who sees Toppin coming to Cleveland as a potential possibility. Despite him being the NCAA Player of the Year last season, yes, Iowa, Toppin won National Player of the Year, not Luka Garza. The quicker you make peace with this, the easier it'll be. Anywho, despite Obi being the National Player of the Year, he falls outside the top three on a lot of the mocks. And this makes me sad, but I get it. I do. Obi is a freak. Athletically, I have never seen anyone like him in a Dayton uniform. It was man amongst boys in almost every Flyers game last year. He could jump out of the arena and put forth dunks you just don't see in college. That's going to give him a serious edge in the NBA. He's also made some big leaps in terms of shooting ability. While a lot of his buckets are near the rim, he did shoot 39% from three. Didn't take a ton, but when he did, he was hitting enough of them to stretch the floor. His size is solid. Six foot nine, 230 pounds, a wingspan, seven feet, two inches long. There really is a lot to like. That is my completely unbiased opinion. With that said, I do have worries about his fit. At first glance, his size makes him a very athletic power forward, or if you want to get ambitious, small forward. He's certainly explosive enough offensively. The problem is that defensively, he does have a few things to work on. His feet aren't incredibly quick which could make it easy for opposing forwards to beat him off the dribble. He sometimes comes off a little bit stiff defensively. The Cavs already struggled on defense last year. If Toppin has trouble improving already questionable defensive effort, it's not going to make life any better. Also, despite his ability to jump through the roof, he only averaged 7.5 rebounds per game last year. It feels like that should be higher. Also, also, playing time may be a little bit tough to come by in Cleveland. No, they're not going to draft someone fifth overall and completely not play him. Still, top end would be behind Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, and Larry Nance. That won't erase any and all minutes he could get, but it also doesn't put him too high in the rotation. Sure, the Cavs could trade Kevin Love because what's a year without talking about that possibility? Until that happens, though, Toppin falls pretty low in the pecking order with Cleveland. I don't hate the idea of Cleveland taking him as much as some do. A few analysts I've seen are just staunchly opposed to it. But I have concerns. I'm not as anti-Obi because of the fact that he's already 22 years old. That's a pain point for some. I'm certainly intrigued about the idea of him being a pick-and-roll option for Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Really, this just basically sums up my entire thoughts on the matter. For someone I had an absolute blast watching at UD, his getting drafted by the Cavs would elicit a reaction of, okay, Okay. And that, that almost feels mean. I'm sad. But look, if he's the best player available, take him. I'll say that much. Of course, because 2020 is just a pinata filled with terrible news, I've been bracing for the idea of Opie Toppin landing with the Golden State Warriors all year long. You know, that might break me. That really could. That's cry into a pillow territory for me. Just basketball gods, please don't be that guy. Speaking of don't be that guy, Browns. What did I say last week? I was very clear when I said, stop 
getting hurt. So color me surprised when rookie safety Grant Delpit, one of my favorite players from the 2020 draft, got shut down for the season this past week. I I said stop getting hurt! Yes, I know. Nobody is trying to end their season like that, especially via a torn Achilles, which... Uh, best of luck, Grant Delpit, on his recovery. Just honestly, not only is that the kind of injury that for sure sidelines him for 2020, 2021 is also up in the air. If I can make it through my entire life without tearing an Achilles, I will call that a victory. You basically have to relearn how to walk. Never mind the idea of becoming a top caliber safety. So I'm definitely wishing Delpit a speedy recovery. That was really tough to see. Quite a bummer. On the bright side, Mac Wilson doesn't need surgery for his hyperextended knee. That's a big win, especially considering how thin the linebacking core is. Out just four to six weeks, much better diagnosis than, oh dear, we might have lost him for the season. Overall, though, the vibe that you get from Brown's camp is things have been sloppy, especially Baker Mayfield. He's had his moments, sure, but more often than not, you hear a lot about his inconsistency. Now, I'm not going to sit here like some and say, oh man, is it Case Keenum season? Can we not? Honestly, can we just see how this season plays out before running the only semblance of a franchise quarterback this team has seen in decades out of town? I said it before, I will say it again, 2018 did not happen by accident. 2019 sucked, it did, but you literally have two polar opposite seasons and therefore no proof that one specifically is the real Baker Mayfield. So if we could kindly not start up QB controversies based on shaky practice performances in a summer where there was no minicamp or OTAs or, hey, meeting in person at all, that'd be swell. Lord almighty, and that's kind of the point. Slop football, it's going to be the drill this year, at least early on. There have been no practice sessions ahead of camp. None. I'm sure that the Zoom calls were productive, but that's not even remotely the same as practicing in person. It'd be hard for any team to look elite right now, but especially so for one working with a brand new coach. So yeah, things aren't going to look seamless. No preseason games isn't helping the cause either. So while I'm not sitting here and telling you that this Browns offense is going to be humming like a sports car in week one, I'm also not going to get into a tizzy because things look a little discombobulated as we hit the second week of padded practices. Oy, oy, oy. But hey, one player who doesn't look shaky right now, tight end Harrison Bryant. Cleveland's fourth round pick from this year. It seems like literally every camp recap features some praise for him. He's showing off great hands, solid chemistry with Baker Mayfield. He's looking quick. Definitely doesn't look like the game is too fast for him. It is practice, I know. But there are already people saying, whoa, this guy, uh, he could supplant David Njoku on the tight end depth chart. Which has me wondering, what, uh, what does David Njoku think about all that? As you'll recall, Njoku made a trade demand in July, claimed it wasn't about a dislike for Cleveland, even said that it wasn't about competition with Bryant or Austin Hooper. We still don't know why he wanted out, with that context. We just knew that he did. Then he said he was all in, which was great. Cleveland must have sold him on his role for the year ahead. 
when doing so, just curiosity here, how frequently was Harrison Bryant's name mentioned? Was the idea of the rookie passing Njoku on the depth chart discussed, touched on at all surface level? I'm guessing no, but I still wonder what Njoku's thoughts are on Bryant becoming a camp darling while he's had some inconsistent showings and a slight wrist injury. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying, oh, Brian is good. Maybe the Browns should trade in Joku now. I'm just wondering if, after he bought him with Cleveland, if Njoku is now experiencing buyer's remorse. He was upset about something when he made his demand because he made it, despite the fact the coach he couldn't stand had been fired already. If I had to bet, I'd say he wasn't being entirely truthful about his being okay with competing against two new tight ends. Whatever it was, he backed down and is now seeing his role put into a little bit of question thanks to a solid camp showing from Bryant. Is he going to be okay with the idea of losing reps to a rookie? Is he going to make peace with reversing course on a trade demand only to see his role get diminished? I don't know. I, again, we actually don't actually know what he was upset about in the first place. We can speculate, as I just did, but nothing conclusive. And if he's fine with Bryant shaking up the death chart, great. I'm spinning my wheels for nothing. But I, I don't know. It's something I'm going to keep an eye on. He's already had issues with consistency throughout his career. How is he going to feel if he has a couple drops and starts getting phased out of weekly game plans because Bryant has glue fingers? Is he going to double back? That'd be a bit of a PR snafu to say, I want out. Never mind, I'm all in. Actually, hang on, trade me. But I didn't expect the trade demand in the first place, so who knows? Like I said, something to watch out for now that week one is... Holy crap. Week one is less than two weeks away? That snuck up on us. Really, not having any preseason games just completely erased my concept and ability to grasp time. As did us being forced to stay inside since March. But yeah, I'll do some season preview takes next week as we get ready for the 2020 campaign or however much of it we get through before the pandemic makes everything annoying. As we know, the Browns have not won a week one contest since 2004. Can we just look? They're playing Baltimore at Baltimore. I get it. It's just can the Browns just win a first week of the season game? Please. I just I make jokes about it every single year, but it. The content's always there because they don't win in week one. Honestly, when I saw them put Baltimore on the schedule for the first game of the year, I was like, cool, I can make peace with the loss now. So go ahead and prove me wrong. That'd be swell. All right, look, I got to be honest. I'm not really in the venting mood. Not after this week. If you're new to the show, I typically end every episode with what I call the vent of the week. I've gone vent-free just twice in this show's existence. This is episode 184, so let that be context for how angry I tend to be about sports. One time was when the Cavs hired Lindsey Gottlieb, and the reactions weren't chauvinistic trash, but instead applauding the team for making an open-minded hire. The other was when the Browns won their first game in almost two years, and why ruin something like that with angry ranting? But we're going to get a third this week. And look, it's it's not like I'm not upset. The reason why I'm going sans vent, it, it's not any sort of hunky-dory, everything-is-awesome type of update. The fact is, it would just feel very wrong to follow up uh, a very powerful week of protests across all the professional sports leagues with a segment that's basically me just saying, hey, here's what grinds my gears. 
I think what happened last week was both monumental and sadly necessary. Players and teams boycotting their games as a result of racial inequality. That was a very important moment. One I wholeheartedly got behind. Not everyone did, and that was that was very upsetting. Not surprising, but upsetting. I why can't we be united on something like this? I'm not playing for jokes. I'm not being sarcastic. I just really want to know. Why is the cause these athletes are pushing for so hard to embrace? What they're standing up for is literally racial equality. Treating people the same regardless of their background, where they come from, what they look like. And yet, people bitched about this. Why? So I don't understand. What, what, because you couldn't watch your team play for one night? A guy got shot seven times while walking away. He was treated differently because of the color of his skin. I don't understand telling these athletes to stick to sports after something like that. I don't understand the concept of bashing athletes to use their platform to promote something as common sense as just treat everyone the same. Sports are our distraction from the real world, I know. I clamored for a distraction like this for months while an alarmingly foolish group of people pretended this global pandemic was all fake. But sometimes you shouldn't be distracted. Sometimes you shouldn't be allowed to ignore what's happening. And that's what these athletes across all sports are trying to prove. It's bigger than sports. And seeing acknowledgement of this as your reason to say, I am done with insert league here, I, I don't know, that doesn't sit well with me. You want to step away from the games, you want to stop watching, claim you've had it, you're done, it's gotten quote-unquote too political. Be my guest. Have at it. The sports world will live on without you, and you can trust me on that. People claim they were done watching the NFL after Colin Kaepernick took a knee for the very same reason everyone protested this week. Oddly enough, the NFL hasn't gone bankrupt, and that was four years ago. I, I, I don't know. It was really appalling to see such important moments, groundbreaking attempts to hammer home that life is really scary right now. To see that met with, just shut up and go run around for my entertainment. Honestly, I, again, I wish I could say I was surprised. I do. I wish shock was an emotion I felt during all that. But it wasn't. Because that's where we are right now. I, I don't see why we're admonishing athletes for standing up for something. They're human beings. They're not androids. They see what's happening too. Only they had the platform to say something about it. They did, and I'm glad they did. Ignore it all you want. There are problems out there. Sadly, a lot of them are based on this idea that people are less than because of what they look like. Why is it okay to pretend that's not happening? Why is it a problem for some of the country's biggest names to shine a light on it? Most importantly, why is it so hard to treat people the same no matter what? People are different. Nobody is going to be exactly like you. But different doesn't mean inferior. This shouldn't be that hard to comprehend. It's not hard to be a good person. It's not. Sadly, that's not a common thought. I really don't, I really don't know what else to say. Uh, sorry to end it on a sober note. I just I didn't feel like wrapping up the show with jokes after a week like that. 
Uh, that is going to, however, do it for this week's show. I have been your host, Casey Drotter. You can follow me on Twitter at cdrotter19 or on Facebook at Casey Drotter Rant. That's all one word. Follow all of my Indians columns on Sports Illustrated and be sure to subscribe to the CLA Sports Talk podcast on Apple and Spotify. Hope to be back with event next week. Hope that things are at least normal enough that I can do so, but <sighs> I don't really know. But uh, I will see you all next week. Until then, have a good one.